I've had this awareness in the last maybe 10 years that as a result of being opened up in that way, like emotionally opened up, like carved open, like broken open, that there is there is an, an openness or some kind of like access or aperture that goes into the very deep core of who I am and it's those ruptures that have happened that also allow light to the same depth. Mm. So I think when I'm sitting in that little year seven classroom and I'm just like happy, almost to the point of tears, <laughs> I feel like that's that's not disconnected. It's It's got some strong connection to the to my terror experiences as a young person. Yeah. And the fact that I'm sitting in this room for people of a very young age, similar age to when I might have experienced some of my terror and I'm making it safe for them and they're happy and they're relaxed and they know they're not going to get yelled at and they're definitely not going to get belted. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald host of the podcast thanks so much for joining me if it's your first time thanks for coming back if it's your you know second third 20th episode but i'm super proud to present episode 50 with lance peel lance and i were put in touch through a mutual friend nick anderson who's been on the podcast episode 27 check that one out but lance as you'll come to learn in this conversation is someone who lives life to the fullest very very colorful life in this conversation we talk about all manner of things he's lived quite a few lives born in canada he has had multiple jobs currently working as a teacher but has worked as a lumberjack a pastor he is a marriage celebrant also and in this conversation we talk about a lot of things from gardening relationship and friendship advice with with big big age gaps also the importance of being creative growing bok choy in his garden, building barns and also touching on some really personal things around depression and moving forward as a man in in life and as a human. So I really appreciate this episode. Personally, I share some stuff in it as well, which I wasn't planning on doing going into it, but it was it was just so nice to be able to, to go into his his home and and, and share with him and learn from him. So I hope uh, it, it helps you listening also. And uh, yeah, enjoy and over to Lance. Lance Peel, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Hey, Hope Initiative, getting here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we just recorded for half an hour and uh, we were... I guess you'd say interrupted, but your one of your daughters came in the lounge room here. We're sitting in your house in Belgrave, yeah. and she, you know, needed to go into a room, and so we stopped. And I noticed that the recording wouldn't stop, and I ultimately checked it, and turns out it's just a corrupted file. And so hopefully this is working. Take two, but we were half an hour in, which I'm a little bit devastated. But we have both got big grins on our face, yeah. <laughs> on our faces. So thanks for thanks for having me here today. 
Yeah, look, this this um this podcast I've I've been hearing about for probably close to a year because I think probably a year ago I was speaking to Nick and he he done the podcast with you and then yeah, then you and I talked in November last year and we've had this lovely back and forth of um kind of happy accidents of almost doing the podcast and then and then um and then not and now here we are. Mm podcast yeah yeah it has it's been i think i cancelled a couple of times on you so yeah you're obviously kind enough to bring me back in your house and yeah yeah, it's been um it's been good you you cooked me up some pumpkin soup before i got here and (laughs) some some sourdough from scratch phenomenal so thank you for for bringing me back yeah well it's funny you know i always i feel like i always knew this podcast interview was going to happen um I think your first uh, first probably text message was um, after both you and I had probably talked to Nick, mm. and so I knew you were going to call at some stage. And I've just before you even called, I knew my answer was yes, and I was going to do it. And so I feel like it's just this lovely unfolding. It's just been it's just been becoming this mm. this podcast interview that we're having right now has been developing and getting ready and percolating and it just needed a fairly long just needed a fairly long time in the soil mm. and um it's popped its little head up today there's <laughs> <laughs> a little um we've, we've been growing um bok choy in the garden recently and it was so exciting when they started popping their little heads up yeah and we've got about 20 bok choys out there going nuts and it's beautiful and uh yeah it's a bit like that i feel like it's a bit like that here we are and yeah we're in our living room and it was actually a really busy time. I think one of the times we were going to get together, I was going to really struggle to to know where even have the interview. There's people studying and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Mm. And um, it would have been challenging to find a quiet place. And today, no one's home. Yeah. And um, it's quiet and we're here. And, it's, mm. yeah, it's and even though there's no one home, it's it's so incredible that your daughter came in halfway and we sort of were coming to the end you were, you were telling me a story which we'll probably come to speak to now yeah. again but that was coming to a conclusion and then she walked in and i had to pause and if i hadn't have done that we would have gotten to the end I know. and the file would have been corrupted and i would have gone and been none the wiser when i left so yeah. really really grateful it's all <laughs> happened and, and yeah. transpired how it has yeah, so i guess you just got to roll with the punches hey that's how gardens grow right <laughs> yeah through through all sorts of weather hey you just gotta yeah. keep keep going so you got bok choy growing out in the garden yeah yeah i'll give you one to take home oh like. legend you love bok choy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure i've um yeah it reminds me of um my shortest poem yeah i've got a very very short poem mm. um it's actually so short that the title is even longer than the poem well wow. And um, so I don't know if you'd have time for me to quickly recite the poem. Absolutely. I don't know if you've got time for me to tell you what the title is. <laughs> Probably not, if it's longer than the poem. Yeah. No, no, go on. All right. So the title is... Grass grows in extraordinary places, although when you think about it, it's probably not that extraordinary. And the poem is... The grass is always greener, closest to the cow turd. Closest <laughs> to the cow turd. <laughs> so, you know, things take... Shit to get going, so <laughs> <laughs> that's gold. Thank you. So there you go. For sharing that. I'm, I'm glad. See, there you go. 
I don't know if you would have told me <laughs> told me that poem had we not done this second recording. Beautiful. Yeah. So Lance, we we were put into contact as you mentioned, mutual friend of ours, Nick Anderson. Mm. Nick uh, is a big fan of yours and is a fan of this podcast. He, I was lucky enough to interview him, have a have a bit bit of a chat. Recorded, uh, I think it was episode 26. So if anyone's listening to this and, and wants to check that one out, okay. please do. Um, but please tell me how you met Nick, how you two came to cross paths. Uh, yeah, we we went along with some friends of ours to their son's gig. Their son's name is Dylan. Um, his last name is Smith, but his middle name is Joel. So he goes by the name of Dylan Joel out there on the radio waves. Yeah. And Nick and a few of his other buddies were there and we just got chatting after the gig. It was a Saturday night and we invited him and anyone, any of the guys who wanted to come, we invited him the next night to a to a Sookie Lounge in Belgrave where there's a, a great little open mic running at the time run by Stuart Kahinga and they came along. So we, we just got stuck right into playing music. There's nothing like, nothing like total strangers playing music together and just going with the moment and having a ball. So we just had a great time doing that and it was that was the beginning, that was our meeting and um, it's kind of bubbled along since then. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, Nick, obviously there's a bit of an age difference between the pair of you. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that you got along really well, sort of straight from the off. Yeah. How much do you think, like, music played into that or is it just because your, your personalities maybe yeah. are... You know, well suited, or what do you yeah. put that down to? Look, it's it was it's a funny thing. I I have um, played music for a long time, but probably in the last ten years, I've been putting out my own stuff, like writing my own stuff and and playing it in public. Um, yeah. And so it's a bit of a new thing for me. This music as a singer songwriter and performing and stuff like that. I really love it, and it's it's become part of who I am. But I, my experience with those guys went a bit like this, that we were, you know, we'd be in conversations or in experiences in music and we're just having a ball and we're just us and we're just doing life like <laughs> one human, another human, another human and we're all together being humans, doing our cool human stuff. And it was often after those experiences I'd come away thinking, how does this work? Like, I'm as old as their parents, <laughs> or maybe even older. Why do they even talk to me? Why do we... How does this work? And and I've I felt um, early days like I was kind of doing something, not doing something wrong, but I was quite mystified by the fact that this was working, and um, there was so much generosity in the relationship. And I I've come now to relax about that. My I was talking to my wife about it one day, and she goes, Lance, I don't think you realise. I mean, you come home and you talk about how good it is for you, but I watch them. It's good for them too. <laughs> They're loving this. And yeah. um, she said, I don't think it's a question you should worry about too much. Just yeah. enjoy it. And that was really helpful. And I I guess I've kind of done that ever since and just gone with the mystery of this is good and, so, and it's positive and it's generous and beautiful. So let's just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, so if I get the urge, I'm driving along and I think, oh, I wonder what, you know, I haven't seen him for a while, I'll give Nick a call or I'll give Ethan or, you know, some of the other guys, Dylan or whatever, a call. Just like a bait, just to say, hi, how you doing? Just thinking about you, I'll send him a quick text. I just do it. I don't second guess anymore. I just 
I just assume that we're fellow humans and that's cool and that's all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you feel like you have that relationship with others more now since you sort of met Nick and, and Ethan and those boys? Or Look, it's definitely – it was definitely a question that perplexed me for a while and I had to kind of get to the bottom of. And I definitely think that since then I'm – more confident to just move towards connecting with people regardless of their age yeah it's definitely something that i kind of i don't know how to explain it probably just that i um i probably just added that to my repertoire of what it means to be me i'm Mm. i'm now someone who's okay to communicate at a really sort of um peer level with anyone you know i'm really it's it's a it's kind of a a willingness to both give and receive hospitality from people of any age and hospitality is not just a cup of tea or money or something it's often hospitality the most vibrant and living and helpful hospitality comes from just the exchange of you know being together just the exchange of just friendship kindness mm. yeah yeah beautiful yeah <laughs> it's good yeah so i feel i mean i feel like that's something that over the years have been developing i've been teaching for about 10 years now and i feel like that happens that happens there too you know like i, I teach a lot of year nine students and a lot of year seven students yeah teach year seven drama at the moment and sometimes i just i like i have these i sometimes i walk in to the year seven drama room and the chairs are in a circle and I'm sitting there waiting for them to come in and my role's all set up, ready to mark a role. And they walk in just full of life and bubbles and they just pour their into the room and grab a place in a circle and sometimes I just let them chat. Like there's this energy of, you know, it's positive and it's happy and they're looking forward hopefully to doing something fun and whatever in, in drama. And sometimes I just got this like kind of almost tingles of happiness just watching watching these young people be a community together and and then knowing that I'm part of that too like I'm I'm the leader of it I'm without a qualified teacher there in the room this can't happen so Mm. I'm I'm critical to it but I'm but I'm not the only person there it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's just all about me I'm just amongst this beautiful little community. So I'm, you know, I have to I have to be the captain, but I can also kind of be a participant and an encourager. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I really enjoy that that can happen. Yeah. I hope, I hope that happens for the rest of my life. And when I think about it, I knew people that were like that when I was young. Like I, I, I have people in my life when I look back who were, in their 60s and 70s and old cheers that I used to work for who lived to 92 and I wow. I was at his, 92, 94, whatever, anyways, I was at his funeral, sang a song at his funeral about him because I just loved him and he was so much older than me. He was further apart from me than I am to Nick. Like he was a lot, he was 40, 50 years older than me. Yeah. And... um. I'm sort of starting to have um, um, these days of thinking, I'm like that. 
I want to be one of those old people, really old and attentive and attuned and curious and kind to other people around me of, of any age. I, gee, I want to be, I want to be like that. Mm. And I feel like I'm, you know, if you want something, you kind of move towards it and I feel like I'm moving towards being that, that sort of person. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you've been aware of those sort of soft skills and I say soft skills with all due respect to them because they're you know traits that are so valuable and important mm. but a soft skill in that it's something that say like a hard skill like we were talking before we started recording you've got this great big shed mm. barn is probably yeah. the better word to call it right this <laughs> big red barn it's <laughs> glorious right standing at the back of your backyard you know that's a skill that I have very little experience with in terms of building and fixing things. I spent a little bit of time working at a bike shop in, in the workshop there, but okay. not yeah. not very good at, at much handyman skills. Okay. Um, but in terms of those soft skills, it's something that I'm conscious of developing, you know, communication, empathy, yeah. you yeah. know, self-awareness, reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you speak about it there and it's something that you now, as a man who's in his, you know, mid-50s is building towards and it's very much a long-term thing you can't just develop you know that overnight but when did you first become aware of it do you think was it Mm. from meeting nick or were you aware of it back you know as a teenager as a as a 27 year old or when was it for you look i think i think i've when i look back i think it's always been there for some reason i've I've always been curious about people and interactions with people. Um, I remember being teased about it by some of my mates at, at different times, like um, when when experiences like this would happen. I was in the main street of Belgrave, just outside the fish and chip shop. I could probably take you right there. It's not far from <laughs> Yeah. And I'm sitting there on my bike and our, I don't know how this happened, but two women walking in opposite directions who are obviously friends met up and they kind of bumped into each other over the front wheel of my bicycle. So they're chatting there, talking to each other and I'm at right angles to their little interaction, sitting on my little bike and my front wheel is kind of almost between them and I'm just looking up and I'm just listening to the conversation and I'm, I'm just really just kind of delighted and curious and they were probably talking about shopping or kids or baby, I don't know what they were talking about. But it was just interesting. I just found myself... So it's weird that I go back even to like that was probably when I was 14 or something mm. um, that I feel like I've always had this curiosity or this awareness of what was happening yeah. in in the social dynamic around me, in the, in the social fabric and that malaise. And um, I, I have found myself aware over recent years, maybe the last 10 years, that part of the reason why I have an openness to this or kind of have a um, an eye towards people and what's going on with people is that when I was quite young and back in the day where it was just a very straightforward and accepted thing to belt kids, mm. for me getting belted was a really traumatic experience, like yeah. a terrifying experience. And I know I've spoken to some people and they go, yeah, yeah, we all got that, you know, and it's just what happened. 
perhaps it's just different personalities or different peoples or particular things about my circumstances mm. that made it this way, probably the feeling of being isolated and there was no way out of it was maybe a factor. Yeah. But when I got belted, it was terrifying and I... I feel like that opened me up in a way that was so kind of dark and devastating and awful mm. that it's kind of hard to even describe in words when I when, when I go to do so. But I've had this awareness in the last maybe 10 years that as a result of being opened up in that way, like emotionally opened up, carved open like broken open that there is there is an, an openness or some kind of like access or aperture that goes into the very deep core of who I am and it's those ruptures that have happened that also allow light to the same depth mm. so I think when I'm sitting in that little year t- seven classroom and I'm just like happy almost to the point of tears I feel like that's that's not disconnected. It's it's got some strong connection to the to my terror experiences as a young person. Yeah. And the fact that I'm sitting in this room for people of a very young age, similar age to when I might have experienced some of my terror and I'm making it safe for them and they're happy and they're relaxed and they know they're not gonna get yelled at and they're definitely not gonna get belted. There's something that's incredibly delightful about being in that moment. I feel like I notice it because maybe, you know, there's a connection back to the really difficult moments that I might have had. Yeah. That I did have earlier in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense to other people, but there's something I just suddenly, I think one day, I, I can't remember, became aware of. I have light to this depth and it's only way that that could have been opened up was through quite traumatic um, opening ups or ruptures or tearing apart or something. Mm. It's a great way of looking at it. Do you think that that attitude towards the harshest times and the, the saddest times of your life, mm. you, know, you, you describe them as, as terrifying, traumatic, right? Do you think that you've always had that, though, that look or sort of around that time when, when it was occurring? You know, you mentioned you, you got belted, you know. My father, who grew up at the same time as you, yeah, talked about getting the cane at school quite often and even from his dad, yep. who was a loving man. Mm. But I guess it was just the norm back then, as crazy as that sounds now in, in 2020. Yeah. But, you know, thankfully times are changing yeah. and it seems like we have to go through a lot of a lot of hard crap for lack of a better word yeah. a lot of a lot of bullshit yeah. to to get there yeah. but for you as a man who now you know there's a photo here we're sitting in your lounge room you've got three three daughters you you know wife that would never be something that would enter your world but how did you deal with it then like do you feel like it it's taken you 30-odd years yeah. to get to this point, or 40 years, right, from when yeah. you were yeah. for that old, that age to now? Yeah. Look, I I um, I um got to a, a place in my 40s. I didn't know I was heading there. <laughs> it's 
But I got to a place in my 40s where suddenly I was... I was depressed. That's the only word... I mean, that's the word the doctor used. I, I don't even... You know, the word depression is such a broad word and such a... It's a word that can have a really clunky definition and and it's one of those words that you think you know what you're talking about when you say it. But actually, lang- I think language is, is um, sometimes really unhelpful when we use it that way. Right. I, I, um, and this might be a bit of a diversion, but think about when we name a tree a tree, we all think we know what we're talking about when we say tree. Mm. But there is so much diversity in that the potential of the word tree. Like not only size and variety, but the life cycle and just the complexity, just down to infinity right. of what's in that word. And, and so depression's a word a bit like that. So I'll, what I'll say about my experience, I don't suggest is what depression is for everyone. But anyhow, I, I, I found myself in a place where that word was being used. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I... I guess I came to a really unexpected realisation that this had been with me for a long time. The depression was linked into feelings of being overwhelmed, of being um, feelings of self-loathing, of hating myself and thinking I was not good enough and I was um, just really negative thoughts about myself. And I actually, when I started to unpack them with the help of um, a therapist I got to go see, which was life-changing, I didn't even realise that these things had were kind of going on in the back of my mind the whole time. This little automatic little thing running, but yeah, yeah, it it. I was even back then. I was um, when I was young. I was terrified and scared and trapped in a world of hyper vigilance and um, just circulating trauma. So even when I wasn't getting belted, I was wondering when I was going to get when it was going to happen next, and wow. sometimes it came kind of unexpectedly for really small things. Um, I mean, one thing I'll say about belting is that I have definitely experienced the anger that could lead me to belting someone, and back in when I was younger, it was quite accepted that men, particularly, could actually express their anger in that way. So it's not to say that I haven't experienced the same anger that my father had or the people at school or whatever that belted me. It's just not okay to express your anger that way. Like, And so I'm glad that I'm now in a place where I, I don't. You know, that's not something that I... It's not something I'm allowed to do and it's something not something that I want to do. And Totally. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, I think your question was, have you always known this feeling? Mm. And I... When I look back, I realise when in my 40s when I was talking to a therapist, talking to my GP, we were using words like depression, I realised that all the threads that had led to those moments where it was just that kind of just exploded and overloaded when I was ready to take my own life, yeah. the threads that had led to that were, were woven into my life way, way back, as, you know, as far as I can remember and possibly beyond when I could remember. Yeah. So I... Um, I mean, it was in my 40s, I had this bizarre session where I realised, I remembered, like I had this memory that I hadn't thought about for, I don't know, what's that, like for 30 years or something. 
I was 19 years old. It was raining. I was lying face down on some red brick pathway and I was crying and I was confused and I didn't know what life was and I just, I was just, I was just ripped open by despair and unknowing and confusion. And in that moment, it was like a tiny voice said, it was almost like a consoling voice saying, it's okay, one day you'll take your own life and it'll all be over. And it was kind of like that was enough to make me go, oh, okay, all right, well, I guess let's work that out. Got up, <laughs> went off to bed. And um, wow. it was, but it was, it had, it's like a little belief had tucked, a little seed had tucked away right in the back of my mind that I could just relax because I knew that one day that's how I'm going to die and that'll be okay and it'll happen one day. And suddenly in my 40s, holy shit, this is the day. And the day turned up when I, um, I don't think this is an unusual experience. People talk about the tunnel. I definitely would have said uh, suddenly I was in a tunnel. It was like a horse with blinkers on. I couldn't see anything else except a rope and death. That was just my way out. For me, that's, you know, call Lifeline. If you're hearing this and it triggers you, call Lifeline, ring a friend, call your GP, tell someone. It's serious. Mm. It, um, I'm so grateful that I survived that experience because many, 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 many people don't. And I have such compassion for people who take their own lives um, because it's so real. It is so fucking real. It's like more real than anything you can imagine. When mm. that tunnel is in, locked in, and you have no other way out to escape the feeling of being overwhelmed or feeling of being a horrible person or feeling of um, being not enough or feeling of being um, nothing to do with your life. You're a hopeless person. You've got nothing to. You've got nowhere to go. You can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. I can't. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not good enough for that. When they all conspire together and lock that tunnel in, it's um, it's a scary place. So I'm, I'm um, I'm now living, knowing that when I was nineteen, that that voice arrives in the back of my head. And I now know. That it is. I'm I'm convinced now that it's very 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 unlikely that I'll take my own life, but that's the way I'll end. I don't think I can ever afford to say, yeah, yeah, that won't happen because I don't know what life's going to deal me in and how I'm going to respond and I know that I have injuries that go back a long way and that I've got, um, you know, I've got this history, I've got this experience that I've, that I've been through and all I, can, all, I can say, all I can say to myself is that I'm very grateful for things that have helped me realise that that's, I don't have to do that when I'm overwhelmed now, when I'm feeling those same feelings, and I do. Mm. When I'm feeling like I'm a piece of shit and I'm not good enough, I know that there's places to get help. I know that there's people who I can talk to and and I know that I can even talk to myself and I can even bring back memories of conversations and moments of discovery of, of, a, of a different picture of who I am. and Yeah. Um, that I can rely on as ways to get um, to get out of the grave, I suppose, literally, you know. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 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 It's okay. I mean, it's a... 
it's it's um it's just the truth. It's just the reality, and it's one of those things that I guess there's a lot of taboo around talking about it, even. But it's so common and it's so real. For sure. And it's me. It's actually. I mean, I know this podcast is just um, wanting to talk to people who live actual lives and just find out about them. And well, hello. <laughs> it's part of who I am. It's part of me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Seriously, <laughs> when I say thank you, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, to, yeah. yeah. To welcome me in your home and to be able to share that with me after a couple of hours, like, I feel, mm. I don't know if privileged is the right word, mm. but um, grateful. Yeah. Like, yeah, to have that. So thank you. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, yeah, if you, know, you mentioned call a friend, call Lifeline, you know, call someone because there are people yeah. who, you know, Call me, you know. Get in touch with me if you if you have no one to to speak to, you know. Yeah. But yeah, means a lot. So yeah. thanks, mate. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask from that, what what stopped you if you if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, okay. Well, because you said you you had the blinkers, and you were going yeah. you were going out. Yeah, I was in the driveway, and um, one of my children came out to the car just with a photo in her hand and a question: Where was this taken? And I remember looking at the photo and seeing my family, seeing my three girls and my wife, and suddenly I was like shaking my head going, where the hell am I? Where am I? What am I? Who am I? Like I was just, it was such an incredible, it was like the blinkers all fell off, the tunnel opened up, there was no tunnel anymore. There was, there was life. So I went and put that fucking rope away and I backed my car back in and, <laughs> I probably went inside and had a cup of tea. But I actually I mean it, it was it was stopped but I had this very strong awareness that if whatever happened to me today comes back with all its friends, I'm done for. Mm. Like I'm powerless against this. I need to find I need to find some way to to not do this. To not let that voice from my 19-year-old self or whatever that voice was that turned up, who knows, I don't know. I don't know how these things work. But um, So I was very quick to call someone who'd been actually a, a facilitator or a lecturer when I was in a pastoral care subject at uni. I just knew he was a straight talker and I rang Colin, Colin Hunter and said, I need to talk to you, would you be up for that? And he said, yeah, sure. He lived on the other side of town, I was there within a few days. And um, told him the whole shebang and, and he just said very quickly, get in touch with your GP. And he said, call Dave Mutton. He gave me a number of this fella who um, I don't mind advertising. He was amazingly helpful for me. Yeah. And uh, and he said, get on with it. And he said, if he can't help you within a week, call me again and come back and we'll talk some more. Um, you need to be supported. This is this is dangerous and it's real and, you know. So I did get in touch with, with Dave and... and started probably a two or three year journey of first weekly and then fortnightly and eventually monthly visits and then a GP who's now retired but she was incredible she would she would make appointments you know like at five o'clock for me it was her, it would be her last appointment of the day and she it wasn't actually officially in the books it was funny sometimes I'd ring up and say I've got an appointment at 5 30 or whatever at the time was and they'd say no she didn't do appointments then and uh, I'll check with her and she'd come back and so she'd made this special arrangement that um I'd be last appointment of the day and she'd have an open-ended time if I needed it. So sometimes I was wow. there for an hour, yeah. 
one hour and a half and just chatting through what was going on. And so, yeah, I found my way back through through hope. I remember actually, you know, sometimes people talk about valley experiences and mountaintop experiences. I I wouldn't have called it a valley experience. I would have called it almost falling into a canyon experience, like a deep, you know, disa- you know, there's disaster attached to that. It wasn't just a little gentle valley. Um, but it, neither the recovery after maybe a couple of years, I suddenly realised that I was having one day walking in the forest what I called a knoll-top experience. A knoll is like just a little gentle rise yep. in the landscape. Like a grassy knoll. I've like heard, a grassy knoll, yeah. Term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like a knoll-top experience. Okay, so you weren't right at the top of the so, mountain. So so I didn't, and I didn't actually need to be at the top of the mountain. It's funny, the, the imagery around that was helpful because... If I got to the mountain again and then I fell from the mountain, I probably would die. But if I fell at the knoll, just a little bit above sea level, just a little bit out of danger, but well out of danger, yeah. on the knoll I could fall over and all I'd do is maybe graze my knee and I could get up again. Yeah. You know, So I feel like I now walk kind of, I feel like my emotional, psychological life is, it doesn't, I don't need it to be screaming mountain tops and, crazy amazingness just to be gently near somewhere on the knoll is it's kind of an image i have in my that i work with in my in my mind when i think about um my life Mm. so i'm happy i'm really happy on the knoll i don't need to be running some huge corporation or be in charge of a whole bunch of things or um, taking so much responsibility that i can't carry it on the knoll, you know, knoll's a great place for a picnic, and <laughs> it's a great place for good company and a, you know, a, a camp chair and a guitar or something. You know, great great places for things like that. And that's probably what I feel like now. I'm nurtured by, you know, I'm nurtured by um, simple friendships and music and creativity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. beautiful. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Seriously. So one thing I like to do, and I usually like to do it at the start of a, a okay. conversation, <laughs> I think we're about 40 minutes into this one, which is superb, <laughs> but I ask people and I challenge them to give me a bit of a, a rundown of their life in their own okay. words, okay. Uh, and I set a time limit right. of three minutes, you don't have to stick to that. All right, I, I could sit, go. Yeah, I like to ask if you can start with your earliest memory and yeah. bring us forward to, cool. to today, so over yeah. to you Lance. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know I started my life in in Sydney. I was conceived in Sydney. My parents were both travelling, one around the world and one around Australia. And they fell in love and had sex and got pregnant and went, oh, fuck. Wow. <laughs> and um, flew to Canada. They got married in time to have the baby. Are they both Canadian? No, mum's Australian, dad's Canadian. Okay. Yeah. So they flew there and um, they scuttled together a wedding before the baby got born, me being the baby. Yeah, um, and I know that in the early days of the pregnancy they didn't want it, and they and they they would have been happy if you know it all failed and stuff. Yeah, but it's funny, even by the time I was born, they were used to the idea, and and so I was welcomed into the world. Um, I'm I'm quite sure of this now. After you know, even the last few years as they've aged, you know, we've talked about those early day stories, so. Mum loves to remind me that I was born 
on the night of the first snowfall in 1962. I was born and they looked out the window and the, the snow was falling. Wow. And my dad was was not able to be there for the birth, but he stood outside and cried with happiness. So, so by the time I was born, they were happy I was here. Um, so I started my life quite young. <laughs> <laughs> so I lived there till I was five. Um, Mum and Dad actually split up for a while. Mum came back with all us kids and we, we lived in Glen Waverley. So I went to prep in Glen Waverley Primary School, learned to tie my shoelaces there. Mm. Ironically, my daughter now works there as the art teacher. It's kind of a funny circle. Wow. And then we moved up to the hills. So I went to Belgrave South Primary, went to Upway High School, and then um, probably from the time I was 13, I was working in little part-time jobs around the neighbourhood, cleaning gutters or lighting fires for the camp across the road, the hot water service, bringing in the newspapers at the milk bar and stuff like that. Um, at 15, we took a trip overseas. We went back to Canada gone for almost a year and my parents changed schools on us when we were away went went from upway high school to mount evelyn christian school little place up in the hills and i finished my high schooling there managed to take three years to fail year 11 and 12 <laughs> 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 oh god it was awful i was i just felt so dumb my brain i realized later my brain caught up in my 30s and i went back to uni and and that was all good. But I took a job early as a carpenter sort of job at a staircase builder. Okay. And then um, and then my dream came true in my mid-20s. I became a lumberjack. Well, not quite a lumberjack, but I worked for a company cutting back branches. Pardon me. Cutting back branches away from the power lines, getting, re- getting ready for fire season. Yep. And it was just an all-year job. So I spent a bunch of years up around Warburton and Powelltown and cut branches, learned to climb trees with a chainsaw and eventually ran my own business before we we bought a block of land and figured we were set up. So we, we saved and saved and my wife and I took about nine months off and travelled over to, to Europe and America and Canada and had a nice old trip of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, well, I got back and I, I'd managed to get into uni. It was a, I mean, it's too long a story to tell, but it was almost, I'd applied, but I needed to be back time for an interview and I wasn't but I got in anyway so I studied environmental studies and biology and um, and maths like it was bizarre to think I was a university student but I made my way through a degree and became a, a teacher worked as a teacher for a year and, and just didn't really like it I think actually at that time I was still experiencing a lot of anger and it wasn't good for me to be around young people that make you angry. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's not the whole story. I just, it was definitely a job that had a lot of administration. It made me feel stupid again and I, and I left that. I did some repair work um, in the car trade, working for a company that repaired plastic and leather and vinyl, little little incidental damage, yeah. invisible, invisible repair business. Um, before then, taking up a gig at a local community church called... TLC in Bayswater and I was the youth minister or youth pastor which is it was all it was all about just equipping young people for life and that was really I was I was really keen to do that I think I'd always had a heart for that sort of thing I used to run lots of youth camps and be involved in stuff with young people and having fun so I worked at that job for 10 years and over 10 years probably changed my identity there maybe two or three times so in the end I was like one of the main pastors a very managerial role and it, it just in the end wasn't a match for who I was it was kind of like 
what the job needed and who I was weren't a great match and at, at that time. So I finished up there and ironically, another big circle, ended up doing a year's teaching back at that original school that I'd been to as a student. Wow. And uh, I happened to know the principal who lived around the corner and he needed someone for a year, three days a week. It was perfect. Could still do my tree work. And, uh, and I've been there about 10 or 11 years now. Wow. Yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah, I've I've worked in a hands-on program for year seven, eights, and I've worked in a year nine program, and I've been the chaplain at their tech school, and I've been I've been a bunch of different things. Mm. Uh, but at the moment, I teach year seven drama, and I teach a couple of electives that are um, kind of hands-on, and I work in a year nine program that's kind of like a mentoring, coaching, self-directed learning program with year nine students with a team of four four staff. Three other people. So yeah, I awesome. So I now work there three days a week. I still do a bit of tree cutting, and I've become a marriage celebrant in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm a musician. So I, there I am. There I'm up go. to date. <laughs> Thank you. Very colourful life. <laughs> lots of lots of different things. Yeah, I've probably missed out a few jobs along the way, but that's you know. Yeah, yeah no. Basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to pull apart there, and and one thing that Nick mentioned that you you had or have done in your life was you were a pastor at a yeah. church, which I don't yeah. think you sort of touched on there. Yeah. Could you talk to me about that period in your life and maybe how that yeah. came to be? And Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. The role of a pastor is, is um, at least in that evangelical Protestant world, are often people who are quite strong leaders that like to say, follow me and got the answers and this is where we're going that that seems to be a fairly important part of what people need to do when they're in that like use the word leadership role yeah um it was it was never a comfortable place for me to be in that role with people people doing what i told them to do right because i've always seen myself as someone who was just like the next person and maybe probably a bit less than the next person you know i've always been pretty down on myself pretty like why would you listen to me right um but i was very interested in pastoral care and spiritual development or personal development for people so in that role the my favorite parts of being in that role were being able to have time enough to organize for people to come together and read a poem and reflect on it or enough time for someone to ring up and say I'm having a real bad time with my son I don't know what to do and I could say yeah well let's let's chat about it and during that time I was also being trained I was also doing a master's of divinity so like a, a qualification that you learn about history and about understanding um, just understanding kind of from a academic point of view what the bible is that the Christian Christian Jews yeah um, pastoral care and um, some language stuff, so I learned some ancient Greek and stuff like that. But the pastoral care was my specialty, was my mainstream, so I, I really loved being in the role where I was actively being a pastoral care person and I was also training, training, like it's bizarre that you can get trained and learn about things like empathy, and uh, I had some really amazing people teaching that. It yeah. was very experiential, it was very... It was very we would some sometimes we had to video ourselves having an empathetic conversation with someone and then pick it apart with a lecturer or with someone else. And wow. 
you know it's pretty robust and pretty um pretty direct but i re- i loved learning how to do that well and how to do that better and and yep. um i loved reading about what even empathy was and how it could work and the the pure simplicity of it but also skills that you could learn that were often quite complex and required um a lot of awareness that that I you may or may not naturally just have right know. so yeah my work as a pastor I loved being in that place like that but I um as time went on and other people left and I took on more senior roles in the organization I found that it was it was just not it was just not what I wanted to be doing I'm not a I'm not a managerial really kind of person and right um and I, I'm not really, I'm not really big on getting up in front of a few hundred people and preaching a sermon that where there's an expectation that this guy know what he's talking about and we can just trust what he says and do that. Yeah. Um, I didn't think of myself as someone who was very reliable for that. Right. I um, I'd much prefer to have a conversation with two or three people and explore some perplexing conundrum or, yeah, you know, just observation about life or whatever. Yeah. So in the end, I I decided to take my long service leave um, over six months, and then a bit of a sabbatical. And, and during that time, it was just clear to me that what what the what that church community needed in its leaders, and what I could offer, and who I was, was just not a really was just not a really clear match. Yeah. And um, I I guess it was probably three or four years prior to that, maybe two or three years prior to that, that I'd started with this counselling and I'd had that episode where I'd really thought I needed to just get out of life and the best way was to take it. So, um, yeah, it was it was, it was was like a, it was a good freedom to move on from it, but I also have very rich and fond memories of people and things I got to do there as well. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I think during that, during that time, I guess during that time I actually came more and more to be okay just to be me mm. so the more I became comfortable just to be me the less I could be someone who everyone expected me to be yeah or I thought people expected me to be you know mm. I think I mean probably I put a lot of that on myself but kind of structurally in the organization it's kind of built in that you need to be the person who's got the answers and who's confident to say that you've got the answers right yeah. right and it's okay to not right to yeah, not have okay. the answers to everything. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely, um, I think the beauty of life is following the questions and leaving them open often rather mm. than shutting them down with answers. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Shutting them down with answers. Yeah. It's mm. <laughs> cool. Sometimes an answer is like closing a door and sometimes I prefer to leave it open. Mm. <laughs> So is it, is it a Christian church or yeah, it's a Christian chapter? church, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you obviously worked there for quite a period of time. Yeah. Your family now still follow the beliefs or you know the practices of um, that? Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. My, I mean, all my growing up years, that was I was formed in the crucible of evangelical Christianity. Okay. And um. And in any, I think, I think in any organisation, there's a there's a number of reasons why people still, you know, remain part of an organisation, and a lot of it's about belonging. Yeah. So there's just in in like in my in my family here, the three girls, and between Colleen, my wife, and the three girls and myself, 
there's real there's a real diversity of what people believe or what how they how they function and practices they keep and um, my wife was raised in the Catholic tradition um, so we're still in contact with that but I guess yeah that's there's no yes no answer to that question about is everyone still involved in or believe in all those things sure I think I think my personal place now is I am far less concerned or um, motivated by or um, whatever. I'm far less... um, I I, I categorise the world now not through the lens of people who are either a Christian or they're not a Christian. Mm. I, I probably think of the world and, and of and of people more with an awareness that we're all human beings and we all experience very similar things to each other. And sometimes religion or a belief system is a way to escape the realities of life right. and to deny what we actually are as human beings. And sometimes it's a way to enrich that and to further that and to open that up and to live and breathe that so belief systems and religion and um and i don't think christianity is different than any other belief system can do can do both those things can can you know provide a place to deny our reality and it can provide a place to open up and explore our reality and anyway so i i i I think of myself like a as one person in this beautiful big mysterious hmm. tapestry and quilt of life that includes the history and the future and of humanity and like so I don't I don't I don't live and I don't think and I don't make decisions based upon what will what will the tenets of this religion that I was raised in say or not say I, I find I more and more rely on is this a kind thing to do? Do I understand why I'm doing this? Um, is this going to bring life into the world, or is it going to bring death or harm? And it's far. I feel like I um. That's I find that a far more helpful way to make decisions and to and to live. Yeah. I love that. Um, I just need to take a moment because it was something I was going to bring up before, but I I, I didn't because. I guess there's so many ways I could take this conversation and and what you're saying, but I really appreciate what you're saying. And you mentioned before when you were about to go out into the woods, you know, to to hang yourself, one of your daughters came out. Mm. And for me, I look at that, I'm a big believer in that I'm a spiritual person. Yeah. And that it's almost like the universe sending you a message. Mm. Like if she had to come out 10 seconds later, Mm. you might have been gone. And then gone forever. Um, And it's interesting that we're having this conversation now, for me, personally, in a moment where you've just shared what you've shared in terms of religion. Because by the sounds of it, you know, your your wife had a different religion growing up um, and your your kids all have varying beliefs. Um, So I'm a Scientologist and I've grown up with that. My parents were Scientologists from their mid-twenties. My dad found uh, the book... Dianetics when he was in the States just travelling in his in his mid-twenties mm. 
and came back and it was something that I grew up with not really knowing what it was um, but when I was 17 and left high school I was like well this is something that I'd like to explore a bit more and I did um, and as a 27 year old now 10 years later it's still a part of my life but it's not it doesn't encapsulate everything that I do if that makes sense like and that's part of why I wanted to, to do this podcast is learning about other people and what makes them them there's so much to people, right? Yeah. But uh, as a real personal thing and on that on that sort of theme of the universe sending a message, yeah. so, yeah. and she might listen to this and might be a bit personal, but I started dating, or well, been dating and seeing this girl for about a month now yeah. um, and she's not a Scientologist and I don't think she's, um, you know, any way inclined by religion. Yeah. Um, but it was going really, really well. Uh, with us you know got along so well I've been lucky enough to have had a few relationships in my life and you know they've all all ended you know prior (laughs) prior to this one but I've had you know some really good moments Um, but yeah the connection with this girl has been really strong really quick Um, but unfortunately that a topic of religion and potentially differing beliefs has sort of curtailed it a little bit and yeah. who knows like it's very early and I definitely wasn't planning on yeah. on sharing this oh, wow. um, especially in a recording which you know some of my mates might listen to and <laughs> and all of that but it's I, I feel like it would be dishonest of me not to mm. right now just because of what you've shared mm. um, and because I think it can help other people not least myself mm. you know yeah. I think when we talk about it talk about these sorts of things with people it's really what helps us to to self-reflect and to figure out what way we want to take it so um yeah i've still obviously got some work to do there and and just you know communicate things but it's very much like i i guess i agree in what you're saying like it's not a belief system that dictates what you do in in life and you mentioned that with christianity it's the same with me in scientology but it's more about who are you as a person what do you believe what are some of those skills like empathy communication those are the things that can make us connect and you know me nick you know all these sorts of things and it's it's really interesting so yeah yeah it's it's um you know i have have the feeling that it's um to live life in this way is a, is a bit like jumping out of a plane and wondering whether there's even a parachute you know it's like um but i feel like i'm okay with that and, and i w- and I, I have friends i have dear friends who are you know who are quite involved in the in, in christianity and are really i mean they use the word a strong christian you know they'd say that about themselves and who make probably most of their decisions by trying to at least in in some way, whether this is ever totally fully possible, to figure out whether it's a Christian thing that I'm going to do or a not Christian thing, or God's going to lead me here or lead me there, and that's that's where they turn to for direction. Mm. And um, but jumping out of the plane and wondering whether I can fly, you know, I think that's what it was kind of like maybe a few years ago when I stopped working there. Ironically, I work at a Christian school. It's important that you're part of the Christian sort of family or whatever to be working there. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm I feel I'm confident that there's enough things in common with Christianity and who I am that seems to make this this work for me in this right. job. I, I mean, I, and I'm quite open to the fact that someone might listen to a conversation that I would have like this, or have a, or I might have a conversation with in other context, and and the people in charge of that school might say, oh. No, he's not suitable anymore because he's, he's he doesn't belong in the way we want him to belong to this religion. Um, I'm okay with that. Like I, I don't. You know, if if we can't have an open conversation and explore, you know, kind of where I am and and how I'm rolling, and that means I can't belong to that thing. Mm. For me, that's okay. I don't mind not belonging. It's not worth it almost, I would feel, like if yeah. you can't be who you are. Yeah. So that it's feels real for you. Yeah, and that you know, that feels for some people that's possibly terrifying or I'm there's something wrong with me to be able to say those things. But you know, that um I, I, I can't remember whether this is in the half an hour that didn't get recorded or whether I've said this here, but mm. when I was seeing Dave Mutton and I had this experience one day of realising I can be my own parent, I can I can tend to the young, tender, fragile child in me, mm. and I can do that. I don't need to go to someone else for that. Yeah, and I don't even need to go to the idea of something beyond me, like a a god or someone in control of the universe, to do that. I can just quietly do that here in my knoll, and I can just to the best of my ability tend to that. You know, be kind to myself, and um, and I, it's a paradox, um, Liam, because. Like what you're talking about, the universe turning up for, for you in some ways, it's it's a it's a mystery. Like I, I've had so many experiences in my life where I've turned up at someone's house or they've turned up at my house or we've, you know, bumped into each other and it's just like, how did we time this? This is amazing timing. <laughs> like the way timing and the time-space continuum works together and weaves together and how nodes connect and there's these moments is extraordinary but I guess there's also moments that are disastrous too you know sure if I was standing on this road when the you know I sometimes I've had this experience a number of times on a country road standing in the middle of the road realizing that in five minutes if I'm still standing here I'll get hit by a truck but look at me I can stand in the middle of the road and there's no truck and it's fine Mm. you know the kind of the possibility for disaster and for good is extraordinary and it's a mystery and it's I love looking at the stars and wondering about that mystery but that's probably one of the questions I love to keep open and I don't really want to shut that question with an answer right and say that I know what the answer is to how this all works yeah and, um, gotcha yeah. yeah I feel like I could talk to you about it for a long time <laughs> I seriously do yeah I've, yeah thank you for having me so far yeah I don't often have glad to, don't often get to have chats like this yeah I know <laughs> it's like I say it's been Therapeutic for me in the sense that, yeah. like, I get to be invited into people's homes. Sometimes they're kind yeah. enough to feed me as well, <laughs> which is a bloody bonus. But, yeah. um, yeah. yeah, like, sometimes, you know, what you mentioned is so pertinent to my life in the moment wow. that it's just like I can't help but just just ask. And yeah. a lot of my mates know that, like, for example, that I'm a Scientologist, like Nick, yeah. Nick would know. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's not something that I talk about necessarily. Yeah. On, on the podcast it wasn't a motivating yeah. factor yeah. I've certainly talked to a few few of my you know friends or acquaintances from the church mm. but um yeah 
it's interesting when yeah. you know, I sit down with someone who I feel like we have a lot in common, yeah, well, but yeah. have been brought up in possibly quite different ways, mm. right? You know, I've really lived in a bubble in Melbourne, albeit we've both grown up in sort of these eastern yeah, yeah. hilly suburbs, yeah, you yeah. know, so maybe not too dissimilar. But um, yeah, I like learning from other people, so yeah. it's been it's been real. Yeah. So thank you. I've got a few more questions. Yeah. I hope you don't mind. Sort of cap what has been a very um, full and rich conversation. Um, and like I, I like I say, I feel like I w- could yeah keep chatting for a while. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we'll catch up after this at yeah. some point. Maybe I'll come to a gig of yours or something and <laughs> yeah. see how we see how we go. But yeah, um. Yeah. You're obviously a teacher. We've spoken about that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you, or maybe not some of, if you could pick one thing that is not taught currently in schools, oh, wow. say in high school, where you teach, what would you like to see taught? Oh, look, I... Look, I'm not sure whether this is someone who wishes at my age that I had have known I know now back then mm. I don't know if it's just kind of wishing into a void but I I would love to see experiences for young people mm. that help them to really understand and know themselves mm. to, to really connect with the reality that they are a person and that they are a one thing that they are a being and that they have a voice right feel like um, I would love that to be something that was deliberately done yeah and and, and that there's a freedom in that but yeah. there's also a responsibility in that right and I, I think some of the some of that is happening in this world of young people having a lot of access via social media to all kinds of information it's why people you know in year eight or year nine wanted to march for the Black Lives Matter thing, right. they know about it, yeah, and they and they have compassion, and they, you know, they, you know, I've, I know young people who feel already at that age they do have a voice and they want to express it, and it's hard because parents and older people don't like it when young people, like really young, 13, 14, 15 years old, have a voice, right. So I'd love to see that, just, just. <laughs> As one of the most core things you could learn is that you have a voice. Yeah. Mm. I love that. How do you think that would look if you were like practically teaching that, applying <laughs> it? I know that's hard, putting yeah. you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. But what 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 would that look like? Because I think, like, sure, this is you know a theoretical question, yeah. but I don't see why. For you, example, as a teacher, I know many teachers. I've been yeah. lucky enough to sit down and yeah. and have a few of my ex teachers on the podcast, and yeah. one of my best mates, one of my best mates, is a high school teacher. Yeah. I think this is what we need, yeah. right? And that's why I ask this question as yeah. much as it is a theoretical thing. It's like, yeah. cool, yeah. could could we make that a reality in five years? Yeah. Because the world would be an even better place then, yeah. Yeah. potentially. It's it's it's. I find it fascinating that it's a, it's a kind of education that happens often incidentally, right? Or it looks like it's incidental. I feel like the times when I've talked about that with students, or I feel like I've perhaps developed an appreciation for that in students has often happened between the lines. Right. So I guess it goes back to training teachers. Like I, I, I really feel that um, 
probably the best thing that teacher training teachers could do as part of their training is to undergo two years of psychotherapy. Yeah. To understand themselves, right. to know that they have a voice, mm. to know that they are a person with experiences and anxieties and like I'd I'd be a huge fan for that being a compulsory subject. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because how do you force people to do something that's going to build their character? Yeah. People are resentful of it. You know, you, it's character and, and that sort of thing is not something that happen can happen in a educational model where things are about passing exams and there's measures that are like those things can be important. Obviously, like it would. It's good to be able to read and write and do yeah. basic arithmetic, yeah, yeah. but yeah, those sort of skills you're talking about. Yeah. So, for you, what is it, what exactly is psychotherapy? Like, obviously, we've we've talked about what it's done for you, but is yeah. it like that self reflection and finding yeah. out yeah. how you've how you've come to be? Yeah, I, I think actually, I'm I'm quite convinced of this. I, I I'm quite happy to be wrong, but. There's so many millions of models of psychotherapy and counselling and mm. and whatever, and I I almost would say it doesn't matter what version of that you take on, mm. because what happens when two people put themselves in a room and one's attending to the other person in some kind of caring, attuned, attentive way, listening enough to help the other person hear themselves. And I don't care whether it's Reiki or tarot cards or a podcast, maybe podcast. <laughs> I feel like this but, is a bit know, therapeutic or, um, for me. Yeah, yeah. or um, you know, any other kind of psychotherapy, whether it's sure. prayer therapy, whatever it is. At the core of what's happening and what's really beneficial, I th- well, this is what I think: is people, are, a, a client, is mm. coming to understand themselves more deeply, and they're coming to know themselves more deeply. So, I mean, maybe there's some things that are more socially acceptable than others and, and might be better than others for this purpose. But sure, I, I would love to think that teachers, when they go into a classroom, when they go into a school, are equipped with enough self-awareness to know that when they're really angry at a student, um, for example, they might actually just be seeing something that they know about themselves in that student that they detest. Right. And to know that, yeah. to know that they detest that about themselves. Mm. And to have the edu- have the ability as a as a human being to to move past just their reactions and their their you know the, the system that just the system that rewards good obedience and paying attention to books doesn't I just don't think it really develops really well rounded people mm. and healthy self reflective kind open hearted. They're not the sort of people that are going to solve the problem of global warming. Right. Yeah. People who are able to say, yes, this is real. This is a problem. This is change needs to happen and we all need to. Someone who feels, who's able to think creatively and engage the arts and engage, you know, a broad way of thinking about the world, they, they'll, uh, this is my theory anyways, that they'll be people who are, understand themselves enough and, and they're confident enough to to act mm. Mm. that's great yeah i All feel right. like i it's not something that i was really formed in and i feel it's part of you know if if i've got a weakness as a person that's part of my weaknesses that i that i struggle to boldly step out and be you know it's something that i continue to work with and struggle with and mm. 
Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't pick that in you, to be honest. I've only <laughs> known you for a couple of hours yeah. and, and messaged you obviously a few times in the past few months. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting how I guess the perception we have of ourselves sure. maybe isn't that of what other people have. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And I think as, what's the right word? Not egotistical, but I think we all think about ourselves more than others. Yeah, sure. it, And not in a bad way, not in a, like an ego, egotistical way, but it's like we're more conscious of ourselves. Every day you wake up and you're with yourself. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right? You look at yourself in the mirror when you you know have a shower or you're brushing your teeth, all all those sorts of things. So it, it's hard, you know. But um, yeah, we could unpack that for hours. I feel, but <laughs> I I really appreciate yeah that that self reflection and that learning about yourself. It's it's probably hard to do, but yeah. hopefully someday soon in our lifetime, yeah, yeah. it'll be something yeah. that's a bit bit more prevalent at school. Yeah, yeah, cool. I feel it happens at the times where it happens is at recess. Mm. Happens on yard duty. Yeah. Happens in the exchange. The little accidental times that you have with students. Right. And kind of the down times. Right. And I think if if more teachers were attuned to the possibilities in those between the lines moments, that that I mean that's just one way it could happen, anyways. Yeah. I feel that's what, that's what I kind of feel activating with me at school sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Mm. So I've got a couple more questions, okay, but yeah, cool. thanks again. Go. <laughs> so reason why I started this podcast, really for me, I, I listened to a lot of motivational style podcasts and one of the questions was, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? And that was asked of really influential, high-performing athletes or business people and the advice I found wasn't applicable to, say, the everyday person, which is what I am and a lot of you know, all my friends are, essentially. And I didn't feel like, by listening, I would get a lot of good good learnings from it but I was like what if I asked the everyday person if I asked my old man the neighbour whoever so yeah my question to you Lance is what would your advice be to I'm going to specifically say your you know 25 the 27 year old self I'm 27 myself if you can think back what would you like to say Yeah, I probably wish that every time since I was 25 that I'd had a thought, oh, that'd be cool to do, that I'd done it. Mm. And um, and I'd, pro- I'd, I'd like to say, it'd be lovely if I could go back and say to that self, it's going to be very difficult for you to fail. Try stuff. And regardless of what happens, keep going. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you might fail based on the measure that is the measure for that thing. Like if you try to swim across Bass Strait, (laughs) you might not make it across Bass Strait, so that could be called a failure. Mm. But I say, no, that's not a failure. You wanted to try and swim Bass Strait and you tried it. Keep going. What else do you want to do? Right. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Love nice. it. Anyone listening? Good. <laughs> for me. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Mm. So before we go then, before yeah. I get out of your hair, <laughs> is there anything you'd like to like to add? Any final things that maybe I haven't touched on? Mm. Oh, I haven't told you about my poetry writing. 
Yeah. And it's probably an example of where um, suddenly one day I decided that I'd like to take some of my poems I'd written and share them at a poetry reading night. Yeah. And and then I thought, no, don't do that. That's stupid. You, know, you can't do that. You're not a poet. You're not actually a poet. You write these poems. I mean, you guess you could call them poetry, but you're not a poet. Right. And um. And then one day I did it, and um. And I. I guess maybe my my experience was that I'd found a way to express myself by writing. Mm. And I'd failed English at high school, so I shouldn't be able to write. But I f- find out now, way, way too late, that I actually can write, and I can write quite, quite beautiful poems. I've, you know, poems that people like to listen to, and I read them. And um, so I just say, please be on the lookout for ways that you can express yourself creatively, and uh, just be ready for a surprise. And follow what you're curious about. And know that if you walk towards being creative, you you can't fail. Yeah, you can't. You will only be enriched by moving yourself in quiet, secret moments towards creativity in whatever form it takes. Mm. You know, whether it's computer programming or wood turning or writing poetry or riding a bicycle, making a podcast. Mm. Move, move towards being creative. It's it's kind of what you. It's actually what I believe. That's what we're meant to be. Right. Yeah. We're made to be creative. Hear so many people say, "Oh yeah, I'm not creative." I know. And that's just. I just. I, I think that's. You need to put that statement in the bin, everyone. If yeah, you've got that. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's a strong belief that the thing is with the creativity, there's a huge risk of being exposed as a failure as someone who doesn't do a good enough job as someone else, as right. a painter or something. So what we're really saying, I think, when I say I'm not creative, is I'm, I'm petrified of, of being shown to be wanting. But I just say, embrace your, your weakness. Embrace being needy. Or your perceived weakness, because yeah, you may, may not even be weak in it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all... It's all arbitrary anyway. Yeah. What's good and what's what's good art, what's a good podcast, yeah. what's bad like. But embrace your shaky knees. Just know but that your knee, if your knees are shaking, just say, my knees are shaking. Hmm. I'm needy. I'm feeling out of my depth. But don't but don't shy away from being creative. Still move towards it. Yep. It's um I just I just recommend it. Like I'm I'm just a person. Like I'm not a special person. But I've done lots of creative things, kind of by accident and petrified. Hmm. And I, I can very quickly say I'm not good at this, not good at that, not good at this, not good at that. But I've got a barn in my backyard that I built. For God's sake, I, I <laughs> can build barns. I cannot build barns. I, I wouldn't know where to start again. And I, every every time I listen to one of my own songs on a being played, or I'm playing, I'm I'm playing this song, and I'm going, how I wouldn't know how to write this song. If I had to go and write a song this song I wouldn't know how to do it but it happened somehow it happened right move towards it and it'll happen something will happen gold yeah. Lance Peel thank you so much oh it's been a pleasure yeah pleasure really rock on. yeah <laughs> you're a legend mate thanks you so much no worries <laughs> <laughs>
So there you have it, episode 50 of the Hope Initiative. Thank you so much to Lance. Thank you to Nick for putting me in touch with him. Absolute legend. It's really interesting with timing. I feel like if I had spoken to Lance nine months ago, it still would have been a really valuable conversation. But for me right now, and hopefully for many of you listening, it was something that you know, resonates a lot, certainly has with me. And as always, if it's something that you feel would help a family member, a friend, I would really appreciate it and it would mean a lot if you were to share it with someone, take a screenshot, share it on your socials, however you'd like to do that. It means a lot. That's how I want to get it out there to people and, and spread the hope. So yeah, and also we just want to take this moment to reflect and acknowledge the work that I've done, give myself a pat on the back for reaching halfway to my, my arbitrary number of 100 episodes. So excited to see what the next 50 have in store, all the learnings and yeah i hope you come back and join me for some of those episodes thanks for listening and until next time all the very best